I was moving at such a fast clip that I actually got panic attacks. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or if you've ever had those. Like, I always, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, panic attacks. Like, like, like stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Like, like I didn't really believe people that said they had those until you actually start having them. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, the anxiety can kill you. You know, um, yeah, I went to the I went to the hospital a couple of times, uh, you know, back in like uh, 15. And Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, today we got Blake Selby on. This man is a man of so many talents. He is a musician. When he puts his content together, this dude has bought and sold gyms. He's bought over 300 houses, sold some of those, ended up with seven figures, became a private lender, is one of the most down-to-earth, cool guys to talk to, but can deliver so much insane value that I am literally bursting at the seams with excitement right now to be in conversation with you. Blake, thank you so much for being gracious with your time. And today we're going to start it off a little bit differently because we just have so much ground to cover. So if you could take us from the beginning of, because you're like 28 years old with like, it's just crazy what you've done. So, so break it down for us. How do things get started for you? Wow. Well, thanks for the great intro. I mean, uh, you make me sound like a, an important figure. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm sure that uh, you guys have some amazing guests and I'm just happy to be uh, a part of that uh, roster. So um, I can kind of give you the origin story. Um, graduated from Michigan State University in uh, when I was 22. This would have been in uh, 2012, right? And I made my way out to uh, kind of check out this gym in uh, in Bettendorf, Iowa, and it wasn't doing so hot, um, you know. And we kind of I brought new life to the gym, you know. I uh, was able to to purchase it um, and uh, you know basically turned it around um, and to the point where I was able to sell it, and then I kind of parlayed that 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 was really the catalyst that kind of just allowed me to move forward. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was a really good experience from a management standpoint, having to, it was a two-story gym. So it was, it was big. It had a, like a own daycare and a smoothie bar and a, you know, MMA room and a CrossFit, you know, room. So it was like a, a pretty large operation. Um, and having all that, you know, has helped me going forward, you know, from managing people to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, when I sold the gym, it just so happened that one of the members that worked out there was the vice president of a local bank that did portfolio loans. And before we get and, there, tell us, how'd you acquire this gym? Because you were pretty much yeah. like, you weren't loaded at this point. You weren't fed a no. silver spoon. No. So I, I had like nine grand saved up from personal training. I'm not, I don't have the gym, gym body anymore. But uh, when I was in uh, Michigan State, I uh, had a, I have a degree in kinesiology, bachelor's degree. And that's basically like exercise science. Okay. Exercise physiology. With degree my, in uh, PE, basically. Minor. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so, um, you know, you study a lot of, uh, bi you know, biomechanics and, you know, things of that nature, exercise physiology, even some psych uh, sports psychology uh, in there. And, you know, while I was at the Michigan State, I had a, um, a, a an encounter right when I got there. And thankfully, in 2008, with this uh, wonderful uh, young lady who had uh, started up a, her own snap fitness uh, joint right on campus, like literally on the campus. And I was one of the first people that she met. And I was like, I had already been a trainer when I was in high school at the athletic club up in uh, Traverse City, Michigan. And I was like, you know what? Um, you know, are you looking for trainers? So she's like, I'd love to have a trainer. And so, you know, I started training people there, um, ended up getting, uh, pretty like well-known in the area. I helped turn a, a lady pro in bodybuilding, you know, um, you know, and, and so I ended up doing that. And so I already kind of had some money from that because I was getting paid a lot of money. Right. I mean, I was making 30, 40 an hour, you know, as a college student. Um, so, you know, I was able to, uh, pay for a lot of stuff in college and, and some college and then still have like nine grand in the bank. So, you know, for a college kid, 22, that's not so bad. Right. Um, and so when I got out here to Bettendorf, um, you know, this gym, they wanted, you know, there, it was kind of like a failing gym. They were losing like six grand a month or something, you know, crazy. And they wanted, um, to sell it for like 80 grand. And I was like, guys, there's just, there's no way, you know, and this was not the building. This was just the equipment. 
Um, I was like, I can do, I think I'd ended up doing like 35 or 40 grand. I bought it for, but I was like, here, I can do like this down payment and I'll get, I'll get the rest, you know what I mean? When I can. So ended up, um, and it was a total disaster, you know, right when I took it over total disaster. I mean, basically there were like 30 employees, (laughs) which sounds insane, but most of them were like, okay, this guy teaches a class once a week. Right. So there was probably like 10 core employees and then the the, maybe like trainers and stuff. And then these other like 20. Well, of course, none of them paid their gym membership, right? So you got 30 bodies in your gym. Oh, and guess what? Their friends don't pay the gym membership either. Oh, hey, all those MMA guys using the, you know, the, the, the octagon and all that stuff. Oh, they're pros. They don't have to pay either. So now you have this whole gym full of like hundreds of people that aren't really paying or they're paying so little that, you know, and I was just like, I have to, I just have to stop this. So I literally... I mean, I pretty much let everybody go <laughs> all at the same time. I had the the gym phone in one pocket. I had the denominations of money in the other pocket. I was on the phone teaching a class, selling a gym membership, <laughs> trying to make a smoothie. You know, it was just, uh, yeah, something I'll never do again. Um, but, you know, five in the morning till 10 at night. They're long days. So. And you turn that $6,000 a month losing dog into yep. what before you sold it? Uh, I think we were, I think the revenue, I remember being at about 35,000 a month and I don't know, um, how much of that was profit, probably a good chunk of it, you know, was profit, but, um, you know, it was enough to get the attention of a, a regional gym chain that ended up, uh, they were already looking to buy one in that, uh, city or start one or whatever. And so they did. And, um, so there was some synergy there. They already had some gyms around there. So they'd basically absorbed me like an amoeba, you know, and then they could, they, they, they were one of those gyms where it's like a planet fitness where you can, uh, you can go to all the gyms for the price of one membership. So for them, it was just like a no brainer. Um, and then when I bought the gym, they, I looked back in their like old receipts to see what they spent on the equipment. It was like a quarter million that they spent on the equipment that I got for like 40. So it was just an asset heavy transaction. So I didn't even realize, um, you know, the equipment, you know, 10 years had gone by or whatever. So, uh, you know, it had depreciated a bit, but you know, still, I was like, oh my gosh, that stuff was at least worth, you know, 90, a hundred grand minimum. So. What a, that's incredible. And then if I remember right, cause we had spoken about a year ago, like you had sold that thing was like 600 grand. Is that right? Yeah, it was, I mean, basically, I don't think it was 600, but basically it was, uh, I, I got a quarter million dollar, uh, lease out of it. And then I got like, I think it was like 60, um, up front. And then from that, I was able to convince the bank to buy a $600,000 strip mall for me. So that might be where you're getting the 600. And then uh, I know it was 600 because I sold it for 625. I actually bought the strip mall for about four. Um, And then uh, part of it was uh, putting in uh, just a few build out items. So I probably made six figures on the strip mall uh, when I sold it with the gym in it. So that was pretty cool too. Um, I dude, I mean, it was literally just a 20, you know, I guess at the time I sold the gym, I was probably 24, uh, or maybe it was 25. And so just a kind of a dumb, you know, kid bumbling around, but I just tried really hard and I would just take all these big risks, you know, cause why not? You know? <laughs> so, but, uh, I mean, I look back, I could have, I could have gone bankrupt like eight different times, you know, right. For sure. Which is the story of Amazon. It's the story of, yeah. of Elon Musk. It's the story of a lot of these guys who you say dumb, you're obviously an incredibly intelligent human being and one that's fun to be around too, which is super, super cool. So people are paying attention now at the point at the bank, they're paying attention. They're like, wow, this kid took a gym that was failing, turned it in, he parlayed it, he sold it. Now they're saying he bought the strip mall, that type of thing. So now like there's a break that happens in, right? Like, like the bank comes in and says, wait a second, this is not normal. People aren't doing this kind of stuff. They, they kind of give you an opportunity, right? He really did. Uh, it was a, a vice president of a, of a local bank and they did a million dollar, uh, around a million bucks, uh, line of basically line of credit, uh, portfolio loan. And, uh, that turned into, we ended up terming out some of those, uh, things that were in the line of credit into like regular mortgages, like five-year notes. Um, so that was really nice. And then right around that time, I also learned about creative financing, which, you know, obviously you have a million bucks in real estate. You're only going to be able to get so far. So you have to figure out other ways to to make things happen. And I was like, this was back when you could go buy a property for like almost nothing down. Um, you know, there was one day where I bought 74 houses in one day and I put down 30 grand total. <laughs> so 
<laughs> that was uh that, that was in 20 I think 2018 yeah that was in peoria illinois oh in peoria um, yeah the guy was yeah, yeah yeah peoria illinois i did a lot of business out there um but yeah so it was a combination of bank creative financing and then me making some cash jumps on some flips that allowed me to you know kind of get the velocity that i had so as you're doing this, what's the working in the gym and the and the running of everything and the creating of systems? Like, did that help you in the sense that now, like, totally. I mean, th to think of acquiring 74 properties and managing some of them as flips and some of them as, as property, like, that just seems astronomical. Like, you're 20 freaking four years old, and now you've got 74 houses to manage. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I actually, right, right as I was selling the gym um, and, and doing my first handful of properties, I uh, I was moving at such a fast clip that I actually got panic attacks. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or if you've ever had those. Like, I always, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, panic attacks. Like, like, like stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Like, like, I didn't really believe people that said they had those until you actually start having them. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, the anxiety can kill you, you know? Um yeah, I went to the I went to the hospital a couple of times, uh, you know, back in like uh, fifteen, and I think one time in uh, uh, eighteen or something. But yeah, I uh, it was debilitating, man. I mean, and then I would bounce right back. I'd get right back on the wagon, and uh, you know, just keep trekking forward. But I mean, the stuff that was going that I had to keep track of in my brain at that time. I mean, there's not enough spreadsheets in the world to track all that stuff. Um, I was just moving a mile a minute, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, you're, t <laughs> you buy a gym, you, you fix it up, you, yeah. you, you turn that into a strip mall that you turn into another acquisition. All of a sudden you're talking to, I believe you said 74 properties at once. Yeah. That is an extreme rapid, um, rate of growth. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this anxiety a little bit. Yeah. Um, how did you overcome that? If you did, I did. And yeah. what did that look like? Because I've, I've gone through a similar journey. Yep. So my worst year was 2016, I think, right? Right when I was kind of exiting the gym and then just my whole, everything was transitioning. I, all of a sudden I was no longer a gym owner. I was full-time real estate, you know, entrepreneur, whatever, and uh, investor. And I was, everything was new. Everything was new. I didn't know, you know, what a cap rate was. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I was just trying to just consume this knowledge. And also while I was on the job, you know, potentially, you know, having to pay tuition for making mistakes. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, that was really bad. Uh, and it's it kind of stayed bad, I would say until about the end of 2018. And it stayed bad because I was always, you know, kind of, um, you know, cash, my cash was always drying up somehow. And then I was always having to, to sell something to like quickly, you know, recapitalize. It was just a constant um, hamster wheel that I was on. And right around the end of 2018, when I had, I had really started making some some serious uh, profit, um, you know, where my tax returns would be like 750,000 in, in prop, you know, taxable income, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I made a million profit. Okay, let's see your tax returns. You know, like, did you did you really like, what is your tax? A million in in like stated profit is way different than a million on a tax return. Like, let me see that, you know? Um, <clears throat> so once I started having high six figure tax returns, it, I was able to sort of outspend some of the problems. Um, and then I was able to hire more employees. You know, I've got a full office staff here and having employees, I would say is the main thing that caused, I mean, they can cause anxiety if you get the wrong ones, but, um, you know, the, the ones I've got are solid. And, um, I was super thankful to be able to get to the level where I had enough scale to, okay, take your foot off the gas a little bit and, you know, still be profitable, but maybe, you know, you don't have to have as much debt. Um, and then when the anxiety really went away was in, uh, 2020, when I sold those 200 houses, um, and paid off everything. I mean, then it was just like, okay, I, game over, you know, I, I you know, so you're, you're sitting in a position with a hundred paid off houses, probably yep. something like a hundred K a month in income, probably close to net income, a million dollars plus in the bank. And right. you've just come off of this crazy thing. I've had a couple sprints in my life that were crazy. One of the things I realized is life sometimes feels like a rubber band. And I'm curious to get your take on this. So essentially like when you stretch a rubber band by making life harder or having to move fast, like after you're done stretching, life is never the same again. 
Like if you've worked an 80 hour week, 40 hours never feels the same. What, no. <laughs> what does life feel like today or at least after that period, after having to go so fast and, and to solve so many problems so quickly? I needed some time to just decompress, you know, so I took a couple of vacations. I went on a, uh, a, a massive uh, road trip um, to visit all my family that I had neglected, you know, for all this. Yeah, you know, I'm talking extended family. I went, you know, up to Michigan. I went out to Virginia. I went down to, you know, Alabama. You know, I was just driving all around trying to catch up and rekindle some of those relationships and family. I mean, I would work on Christmas, you know, uh, before. Um, there was never a day off and I would start getting blown up with text messages in the morning all the way till, you know, I went to bed and I would go to bed with some unread texts and emails. So it's not like that anymore. Um, you know, with having a staff, um, you know, and decompressing a bit, um, going back to like what I'm doing now, I think it's easy to be honest. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't feel for me, it doesn't feel that hard. Um, in fact, I, I kind of, feel guilty sometimes if I just, you know, spend a day and just kind of do not a whole lot. Right. Um, I can, but I don't know that I'll be the type to like, go sit on the beach. Um, I could, uh, I don't know if it would be a very valuable, uh, I don't know, return on my time. So in energy. Yeah. So now yeah. that you are completely financially free, probably times 10 or a hundred or a thousand even. Right. Do you find yourself thinking about purpose, what types of things do you find yourself thinking about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, a lot of it has to do with um, making sure that I'm constantly improving myself. And that might be from a financial standpoint, sure. You know what I mean? You've got the financial, but also I, I'm doing a lot more education, like self-education. So I'm reading um, a lot of books. Um, I read a you know, even like some history, you know, stuff that I'm just interested in, you know, <clears throat> I want to learn about things that are real estate, sure, but I also want to take some time and learn other industries um, and be a little bit more well-rounded when it comes to uh, a person. So there's some personal growth stuff. Um, you know, um, one of the goals I have has, has been to get some of my strength back that I used to have in the gym. So I've been hitting the gym a lot more and working out. I'm nowhere, you know, nowhere near what I was, but um, making that a priority is good. Um, you know, those are the things that I, I guess my, are my purpose. I don't, I'm unmarried. I don't have any kids, you know? So, I mean, from that standpoint, it's kind of, uh, it's easy for me to have free time. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like once you, that rubber band comes back, it's like, hmm. now what, you know, what do you do now? So, um, a podcast with you guys, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're so grateful for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. Just so wild to see what you've accomplished and how fast you've accomplished it. So you, you get to this place and now you're doing private lending. Take us down the journey right. to become a private lender. Yeah. So I think people think that in real estate, it's kind of like um, if you wanted to become a nurse, you go through X, such and such course, and then you, you do the schooling and then you become a nurse, right? And you go apply for a job and they might think that that's what being a private lender is, but it's just not. Um, being a private lender that there's really no rules, um, other than like usury or, you know, <clears throat> some of the other rules that are set by the government, but a private lender, you can really structure your deals however you want. Um, you can make your paperwork, uh, wildly different than someone else. There's not really like an industry standard unless you're trying to sell to Fannie and Freddie. Um, you don't really, there's not an industry standard that you have to use, um, from one lawyer to another, it'll look different, all the paperwork. So, um, I would say like getting into it, I just kind of started, you know, I just said, okay, I'm going to do a loan. I called up a lawyer. Hey, I want to do a loan, do it, you know? And so they just made one for me. So I was like, okay, now I'm a private lender and life. What I've found and <laughs> anyone watching this, who's like, just wants to do something and just go for it in life. Like I didn't know anything about real estate. And then like overnight I became like one of the biggest real estate investors in my area because it's like, I just, I just refuse to not go forward full bore, you know? So you can do that with anything. Um, so private lending was no different. You know, I just decided that being one of those guys who owns like 10,000 units, it, you know, if that's not what I'm aspiring to, um, not to say that's not an awesome goal for a lot of people, but for me, I'm looking at, okay, I don't need the most return. I would rather have like a lower medium return that's safe, that's passive where I can keep my free time and I don't have to have like 50 employees. So.
Absolutely. And you get to spread the knowledge, essentially. I'm sure you're helping a lot of people along on their journey. It certainly seems to be the case with the content that you're putting out. Appreciate um, that. So just curious, <clears throat> um, if somebody were looking for a private money lender, what kind of red flags would you be looking for if you were on the other side of the transaction? Yeah, so upfront fees are probably the most commonly scammed thing that I've seen, uh, especially for not like second position or like gap funders. So obviously the hardest thing to find is like a good solid, uh, you know, uh, anything beyond the first position uh, lender. Um, and it's hard because why would anyone want that risk, right? Um, I don't do much besides first position myself. I think I've done a couple of seconds, but <clears throat> only if I was familiar with the property. But um, if they ask you for a whole bunch of money up front, like why? Like why do they, they're a successful lender. Look, you don't really need that. Um, I think that there's so many stupid fees everywhere, these junk fees that they put in. So I would just make sure up front, if they have like, um, an accent that is foreign and you're trying to do a property in the United States. I mean, it, nine times out of 10, if they're like in a Facebook group and they've got like a really thick foreign accent, like not to say that it's not, you know, might, might not be a scam, but you really want to like check their website, check their, um, you know, see if they have any reviews, license um, numbers, if they have them. Yeah. 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 Some, you know, if you're really concerned or if you get that that pit feeling in your stomach, like, I don't know, then just move on because there's other lenders that are legit, um, you know, and, and you'll be able to tell too, especially another thing you want to look for is like title company scams. So um, check out, you know, if they, they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to use my title company. And then you go on Google and it's like somebody like renting an office in like one of those shared office space kind of things. And if they don't have like a bunch of reviews, they're not a real title company. Any title company worth a salt in an area, you're going to go on Google and it's just going to be like everywhere, you know? Can you describe, like underwriting is some everything in your world, I'm sure. It's it's how you know that you're going to get your capital back, you're underwriting the the borrower and the property. Can you walk yeah. through like, how, how do you go, what's your, what's your criteria? How do you underwrite it? Yeah, so I'm like an asset-based lender primarily, right? But then again, I like have to think about my office employees too, you know? So I had this kid the other day and, you know, he was, I think his name was Matthew. I don't remember, but he, he was like, he had a pretty decent deal, you know, that he brought, I thought it was. And, you know, it was like, he brought it to me on the Friday and like, you know, my employees are not in on Saturday and Sunday. Like we're not going to do anything with your deal. And he got like super aggressive, you know, and he's, you know, and, and I could tell the aggression in his voice. And so for that, I, I just told him, Hey, I'm not going to be a fit. And then he went ballistic. You know what I mean? And this was after I, I all I gave him was an, a letter of a non-binding letter of intent. And basically was like, yeah, I'll do this as long as everything checks out. Let's make sure everything checks out. Like we were only like a day into it. So yeah, I'm an asset based lender, but if I can tell that the borrower is going to be a pain for my staff, he, he like called one of my, my office girls and like chewed her out. I was like, uh, uh, no, we're not doing this. So, um, yeah, that's also a factor. So I look at the, the asset itself, but I also look at the borrower too. And I'm like, okay, can I do business with this person? Are they going to treat my staff decent? Do I need to put up with, you know, a demanding, you know, sort of aggressive person? No, not at this point. I'd rather just not have the loan. So, exactly. Especially because um, the primary what purpose I... of lending is to not have to deal with all the headaches. Yeah. And exactly. And I can tell you that I've got a couple, uh, you know, loans that I've done and where the people look, they don't get their insurance, you know, they let their insurance lapse. I'm like, guys, like, I'm not escrowing you for insurance. Like, come on, like, keep your policy. And then I got to sit there and force place them, send out force place letters, you know, and, and stuff. And then they, you know, when it comes time to pay the loan off, they start freaking out because I force place them. They don't want to pay the force place fee. I'm like, well, then I'm not going to release your lien. If you don't, you know, I'm not going to have a property that's $200,000 that I gave you where it's not even insured. It could just burn down and be worth like negative 10. Like we're not doing that, you know? So um, that's something that I do, you know, look for, but it's hard to find that out right away. Um, so I, I, I guess to your question, what do you look for? Like what qualifies? Let's say there was a property for, 150,000 was the purchase price, right? The first thing somebody's going to do is they're going to say, "Hey, this property has an ARV of 400." And I'm going to go, "Okay, why? You know, show me, prove it." You know, and they're going to give me some bullshit appraisal, and I'm like, "Oh, nope, don't need to see that. I'm going to look at the properties right next door to it, you know, on that same block. I'm going to see what they've been selling for for the last 10 years, and if it's, you know, kind of take an average of that, 
Um, also, what market are we in? You know, are we in a stupid inflated market like we were three, four months ago? Because if that's the case, I'm not going to take that current value as the truth. I'm going to look at what do I think it's worth, right? So nobody can come to me and be like, no, this is how much it's worth. No, I'll tell you how much I think it's worth. And then I'll let you know how much I can do on the property, right? So that $150,000 house, they're purchasing it for $150,000. let us say the rehab's $50,000. I might only want to be into that whole deal for $100,000, right? And that other $100,000 might have to come from someone who's not me, right? Um, depending on the situation. I do get a lot of people, and I would say that my niche is people whose property has a high equity position or they've got a large cash position going in. I would say that that's like 80% of my deals because I'm a super low LTV lender. I would even say LTC, loan to cost um, lender. And that's how I stay, stay super safe. Now for that, I don't have to charge as much sometimes. Um, I'm giving a guy right now uh, 50 grand for six months and I'm charging him five grand all in flat fee. That's nothing. Five grand, who cares? You know, he's going to make... 30 grand on the flip or whatever. So it's like, you know, five grand is nothing. And then if you add up a bank's appraisals, originations, all the other crap that they would have charged him, you're you're getting five grand minimum at a local bank, you know, yeah. if they're, especially if he's paying eight, you know, 8% interest now. Yeah. So, cause there's no fees and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, if you look at it as a percentage, 5,000 is 10% on six months is annualized at 20%. But yep. where it starts to make a little bit more sense is if you have $3,000 in fees, now you're $2,000. And so now $2,000 is what, 4%? So it's like an 8% interest rate when all, right. all adjusted. So, I, so I, tell, I, tell, I tell people, I'm like, look, I'm going to be a little shorter term. Like most of my loans are one year or less, okay? Use me for the acquisition. Use me for the renovations or whatever it is. And then refi me out, you know, because that's, you know, that, that's kind of where you can use me. I'm a lot easier to use. I'm faster than a lot of the other guys. Basically, once I agree to terms... I can have one of my assistants whip up an LOI, send it over the same day a lot of times. And then, you know, basically uh, from there, we just find an attorney and tell them, let's go, you know, do the title work. And uh, as soon as that's done, I'll send the wire and then they do the disbursement. Um, and that's as hard as it has to be. Um, no appraisal. That's one of the things that's so interesting to me is you're loaning out of state in areas that you're not, you've not lived in and yep. you're like to heck with the appraisers. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. So Yep. Talk us through like how, I mean, I know it's low LTV, but to yep. understand LTV, you have to understand what the V is, the value. Yep. So talk to us how you understand value in an area you've never been in without an appraiser. Yeah. So I, I do look, one of the best tells for value is like the 20 houses immediately surrounding it. How much have those been selling for? Like actually look up the purchase prices that people are paying, not the list prices, not the, you know, pie in the sky stuff. What are these things transacting for? And that will tell me most of what I need to know about that neighborhood. Um, there, there's some, there's some interest, uh, I don't know what the word is, intangible factors too, that are hard to tell. Like the, if it does it have a slope to it, you know, the property, does the property have a slope to it? Does it have a, um, you know, some kind of uh, a weird layout? You know, those are other things that really an appraisal is not always going to catch. Um, so I, I can catch those things a lot of times. Um, and then what is it by? You know, uh, is it by a, a, a ran down, you know, gas station? That matters to me. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to take the surroundings into consideration. I don't see a lot of appraisers doing that, you know, doing a, a walk around the neighborhood or, um, you know, even, you know, Google mapping. I don't see that in their appraisal. So. Totally. So. You go off of all comps that are surrounding, assuming they're not recent, do you just adjust for the time factor? Totally. So, you know, I'll even look at numbers from 2006, you know? Um, but the thing is, is like, I know that the, the market has moved, so I'm not going to penalize them for it being from a long time ago. Um, I'm just trying to get a general sense. Here's where I would be tripped up. If somebody was like, hey, um, I need a $100,000 loan on this property, and I could see that that property has been moving at 30 grand, for the past like two decades and every property around it has too in like in the hood of Peoria, right? Illinois, um, you know, Southside Peoria, six, uh, uh, 61605 is like one of the roughest zip codes in Illinois. And pretty much every house down there doesn't sell for more than like 25 grand. And I know that's hard for people to imagine. Investors from out of state are like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, I can get a house for, you know, uh, 15 grand. Uh, I'm like, 
yeah, it's amazing until none of the tenants in that zip code pay rent and uh, the code enforcement squeezes the landlords till they're about dead and the city charges pension fees on the properties because they can't afford to pay their pension uh, workers. So they just assess all the landlords with pensions, you know? So um, <laughs> there's a lot of factors that, you know, really need to be taken into consideration. But in those neighborhoods, I've seen appraisals as high as 70,000. And, but they never really sell for those unless a, unless a stupid bank's involved. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the combination of, of the bank and the appraisal. Go ahead, Tim. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is just bringing up all sorts of interesting questions for me because, um, you know, due to U.S. PEP standards, U.S. PAP, rather, the appraisal standards, the view should be accommodated for, right? And it should be adjusted for. And it seems like you have no confidence that the appraisers are actually doing that. No. Uh, and, you know, proximity is also something that they have standards for. You know, if it's in a suburban area, it should be within one, one to three miles and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, what do you weigh most heavily? Is it proximity? Is that what you're looking for? I mean, that's certainly like for me, that's like number one. So when I look at it, like my, my actual like gut thing that's going through my head, okay, is what is the worst possible case that this thing could sell for in a down market, right? Worst case, assuming the tenant destroys it, assuming this and that, like what is keeping the value propped up, you know? And so maybe that's the location. Maybe that is an amazing structure. Uh, the, the, the thing was just built really well and it looks amazing. Um, you know, uh, what I don't uh, love to see is I don't want to be going into a really rough neighborhood. And you can tell it's a rough neighborhood based on, you know, you walk around on Google images for a while. You can tell a lot by that. Um, boarded windows, um, you know, you know, super low property values. Um, I don't want to be in a neighborhood like that and then have a house that they slapped on some flooring and slapped on some paint. And then suddenly it's appraising high because it looks, you know, nice. Those are things that are not going to hold value. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but um, it, it's more and all to do with just what does my, my heart tell me when I look at a deal? And it's hard to scale that model because what if I end up being 10 times the size of a company? Am I really going to take every inbound call uh, and, and sit there and vet every deal? Um, I don't know. But and I can't talk about this too much because I signed an NDA, but I've got a um, a private equity firm, um, you know, that's basically in talks with me and we're very far along. And there's a good chance um, that, you know, we're going to basically uh, uh, we're going to do an eight figure uh, deal with them uh, pretty shortly. And they're going to acquire um, a, a portion of my business and then I'll still be CEO. So that's going to uh, happen. And when that happens, um I have some ideas on how to scale up. Uh, but to your point, um, you know, some of the things that I check are just way different than the metrics that are being used by the industry professionals to check value. Awesome. And without asking you to violate the NDA, is this more like they're partnering with you on your lending side of the business or they're partnering with you on the portfolio that you built? Yeah, so it's it's not going to be so all of my assets will be uh, outside of the deal, okay. which is nice for me. So I, I'll, I'll retain every asset that I have now, a hundred percent. So they're basically just buying a portion of the intellectual property. Got it. And and that intellectual property associated with yeah, so employees and you know stuff like you know employees and and mo the momentum that I have, you know yeah. the and then I'll, I'll have to sign a non compete. Um, that basically outside of this new partnership that I can't, uh, you know, I won't be able to, you know, do real estate on my own, uh, outside of this partnership. I mean, obviously the partnership is going to make my cash just, you know? Yeah. So, uh, people are like, oh, so you can't do real estate anymore. I'm like, no, I'm going to be doing real estate 10 times more than I'm doing it now. Um, you know, but it'll be the lent from the lending standpoint, but yes, to answer your question, it'll be mostly the lending standpoint that they're interested in. Cool. So you may or may not buy deals at that point. You're just going to be lending out on a scale that's significantly higher. Yeah, it'll be a mix. I mean, I, I, uh, right now it's probably 90, 10 lending mm -hmm. to me buying deals. Um, so most of it ends up being lending anyways right now. And that's probably going to stay the same. Yeah. Um, they'll want me to do a little bit of acquisitions, you know, when it makes sense, but, uh, going through and meeting a ton of people. Um, I just know so many sellers that occasionally a unicorn property will pop up and I just have to, you know, <laughs> so, but, uh, so yeah. let's talk about this unicorn, like, because you're so insulated and 
had, you know, so much going for you, like how good of a deal does it have to be? Is it like a percentage or like, I have to make 300 K in profit. Like what does the deal have to look like for you to buy it? That's a good point. You just made like, is it a percentage or do I have to make 300 K? Because there's something to be said for a, a, I'll go through a couple of deals. I did real quick. Uh, Grand Michigan. Okay. Uh, five acres, um, a little mobile home thing or whatever. So I don't really love doing those, but I, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised like 15 minutes from there. So I know the, the area. Um, I bought that for five grand, right? Five grand. There's no strings attached. I just straight up bought it for five grand. And then immediately without touching it, I knew a buddy of mine from back home. He's a realtor. And, and I was like, Hey, can you get this sold for me? And he goes, yeah, I got somebody who'll buy it from you for 50 right now. I said, okay. You know, so that, uh, that's not like among my top deals, by the way, that's right. just like a deal that's like in there. The awesome part of it is the percent return is stupid, you know, super stupid high, right? The not so awesome part of it is that, yeah, it, but it's only 45 grand. And by the time I'm done paying 40% tax or whatever, I pay the stupid bracket that I'm in. By the time I'm done paying 40% tax on that, um, what am I actually taking home from that? You know, uh, for all that work, you know, 40, uh, I mean, uh, 20 something grand. Yeah. 20 grand is awesome, but I can't, I mean, that's just like a drop in the bucket for my expenses. Right. So uh, there's also something to be said for total profit dollar amount, right? It's not just percentage. There's also profit dollar amount you have to look at. So I'm interested if I, if I did another deal and made 50 grand, you know, I might have to spend, you know, uh, 10 times what I spent, on that one or more to make that. Uh, but the total amount of profit on my, you know, at the end of the year, that's going to be in the coffers is going to be more. Right. So um, I guess to answer your question, that's kind of how I look at that, uh, you know, to try to find the right kind of a, a great deal is, you know, if I can loan somebody 10 grand and make $2,500 on it for two months. Yeah. That's amazing. The return annualized is like nuts but it, it's still just 2,500 bucks, you know? Uh, so it, it doesn't really get me out of, get me out of bed. So. Well, and it gets interesting too, because I mean, a lot of the reason you made the move to, to lending was to get more passive and to get some of your time back. And so, you know, in these deals, you maybe don't have a lot of time. Someone comes to you with the property, you have an attorney right at the paperwork, you give it, but there still is time. Yeah. And so as you level up, you know, it almost becomes something where like, you know, Hey, I've got to make, I got to make a lot of money to even just like have a phone call. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're going to eventually, once we get more, even more scaled up, we're going to tighten the parameters a little bit on the, some of the stuff we're doing. Because right now we'll do really low, uh, you know, low dollar loans. Like sometimes I'll loan out, you know, 10, 20 grand, you know, and make five grand off it or, you know, something like that. Um, and, you know, on those types of uh, those types of loans, it's just more about, OK, it's there, you know, it'll give my staff something to do while we wait for the next thing, you know. Um, so we have the ability to scale up. It's not like we're, you know, bursting at the seams, but we're probably doing like three to five a week loans. So it's not I mean, that probably sounds really uh, small. And it is, you know, I'm, I always tell people um, I am a, a small company. You know, I've got like four full time American employees and one full time uh, Filipina VA. And that's the entire business right now. It's just running off of me plus five, you know, 40 hour a week employees. So um, you know, we're not a massive shop. I don't have like 100 employees or anything. So but what's crazy though, because I mean, maybe the audience is thinking that and agreeing with you, but I think where I want to push back a little bit is you're not just doing loans with the bank's money. Right. It appears to me you're doing loans with your money. I mean, so when you're yeah. originating 150 to 250 loans, I don't know what the average loan size is. If it's a hundred grand, right. what is it like 2.5 million or 25 million? I have to do the numbers in my head, but yeah. I would say my my average loan size it gets skewed down because I do a lot of those micro loans. Mm -hmm. So for like I would say that fifty percent of my loans are under twenty grand. Oh, got it. Right now, um, and I don't know. It's probably because I'm you know on the border of Illinois, and then Illinois just some of the properties in Illinois are just so low dollar uh, value that we end up even in a nice neighborhood. If all they need is like reno money or something, it might only be twenty grand that yeah. they need. So, um, and, and we do some bigger ones, but really none of my loans are probably over like 250, uh, a quarter million. So that kind of, it skews it down. And then a lot of my capital is constantly being recycled. So some of these loans are like two months, you know, or, um, 
you know, some of them, a lot of them are less than six months. So it's like a lot of the money, it seems like I'm doing a lot, but a lot of it's just kind of boomeranging back to me. And then I'm just redeploying the same money, churning, churning and burning. So. So as you go into partnership, assuming this thing goes through and you have eight to 10 X the money at your disposal, like, yep. you know, leveling up creates a level of opportunity and excitement. It also creates a lot of problems to be solved as far yeah. as you have to either staff up or, or now maybe you have to 10 X the number of people that you're bringing deals to that type of thing. What are the positive elements you see of this scale? And what are some of the challenges you're, you're predicting? Yeah. So they're wanting me to double my staff overnight, basically. So I'll just have to immediately hire five more full-time people. You know what I mean? And then, uh, which I already have the desks for and office space for, thankfully. Um, so I won't have to move offices. Um, we've already kind of been gearing up for this. This is about seven months in the making now. Um, this deal, we're pretty much at the end. Um, but, uh, so there's that. And then, um, from a organizational standpoint, I'll have a board of directors. Uh, which I've never had before. And so you know, I'm gonna have to be concerned with new things like board seats and, you know, different things like that, which is fine. Um, and then from the scale standpoint, the speed of everything is going to increase really rapidly. And so I'm just gonna have to get way better at delegation uh, for some of these new employees. Um, I'd like to try and you know, maybe have me take the inbound call, but then quickly, you know, have somebody there kind of taking notes and on the call, and then they kind of just run it from there. And then I can get the next call kind of thing. Um, that's maybe step one. Step two is maybe have somebody else take the inbound calls, but I like taking the inbound calls because I can just filter out so much of the BS quickly. So when you take these calls, are a lot of them like literal phone calls or are you guys doing yeah. Zooms? No, I, I mean, I don't mind Zoom. Uh, I just don't get a lot of requests for it. Most people just, I mean, I put my phone number out there, uh, yeah. you know, which is, you know, has mixed results, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I put my phone number out there. And for the most part, it's it's legitimate calls. People are calling me. Uh, I even get like some newbies calling me that don't know anything about real estate. and They want to learn. And that's fine. I've got a little uh, free, free little course thing. It's not very high quality, but it's just a little free thing I put together on my website for people who like don't know anything and want to learn something and don't want to get ripped off for learning. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, something I do. Uh, I try to tell everybody like, don't pay all this crazy money for these. You know, like I watched some guy pay like $40,000 for like a weekend course uh, out in uh, wherever the East coast or something. I'm like, dude, like I can teach you more in like three hours than you're going to learn in that weekend. Totally. So it's just don't, 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 don't blow your money. You need that 40 when you're starting. So, <laughs> and we'll go ahead and link to, to your, your, uh, portal as well. So sure. one of the things that's been interesting for us is we discovered an application called fireflies.ai. So when we run our zoom meetings, that, that AI comes immediately onto our zoom calls and transcribes everything, puts notes, speakers, instructions, break it down when people are asking questions, all these types of things. So as you, cool. as you scale, um, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, can automatically help, help assign. So I, I can message you later on it. So you don't yeah. have to take any notes, but, um, wow. this is super, super exciting. And so your big challenge I'm guessing is you're going to need 10 times the number of properties or 10 times the loan sizes to, to fulfill the demand. And what's crazy is right now, the demand for, for the loans is insane. It's actually more than I can keep up with. And so what I try to tell people is like, I'm going to keep a certain amount of capital in reserve. Like I get uncomfortable when I have less than a million in the bank cash. Okay. And so I split my, my cash up into minimum four different uh, FDIC insured accounts. I don't know if you guys know how FDIC insurance works, but basically it's a quarter million a pop. And usually it's per depositor or it's uh, depending on the bank, it might be per account, but a lot of times it's per depositor at that bank. So I will have, you know, I've got like nine different banks that I use for money markets. Now people are like, okay, well, keeping cash in the bank, you make like nothing. Well, that's not true. Um, if you have a quarter million dollars in each account and you go to the right banks, um, you can get like three and a half, four percent on your money. Say what? And, and it's, yep, yep, it's completely liquid. I'll even show you. I might even be able to pull this up on my phone. One of my uh, accounts, I've got one over at. Uh, uh, and you're not talking about money uh, markets or anything that we have to keep in there for a long time, or no, CDs or, no, yeah. you, you, you know, it's it's not CDs because CDs you can get even more than that. Yeah. Um, like here's uh here's one of mine. I'll uh, I'll flash it on the screen. Here's here, this. I've got a quarter million on this one. Can you guys see this? Uh, it's getting closer. 
I got a quarter cool. quarter, quarter million on that one, right? Yeah. You see how much I made last month on the, on that quarter million? That's my interest payment right there. That's 7,000. Wow. Or seven, seven, 700 right there. Yeah. 700 on a quarter million. That's a great interest rate. You know what I mean? Like Almost that's 10, probably like three, yeah. three and a half. And that's a money market. I can pull that out penalty free anytime I want. Wow. And it's FDIC insured, right? And that's a local bank um, here where I can physically drive to it. So um, it's not like some BS online bank that you have to, you know. Uh, this is so crazy, man. Like this, this is why I love podcasting. You literally, I could buy a Peoria house every year now with this advice that I couldn't have bought before. So dude, I, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Um, that is so cool. Um, so the demand is high, like super high. Yeah. So basically then you're going to be hiring a ton of like, like not a ton of, but you're going to be hiring underwriters or something like that. Or how do you see yourself yeah. fulfilling the business? Yeah. So the, the demand is really the easiest part of the business right now. Um, it was harder for me, actually, less people wanted loans back when everyone was doing like 3% interest because I, I wasn't as attractive, but now it's like, okay, I'm not that much more than the regular bank. Um, so like, why not? And he's easier to use anyways. So, um, the demand isn't the issue, but I think from an employment standpoint, the, the loan servicing is actually a lot more of a pain in the butt than people think. Um, and you can hire a loan servicing company, but like, are you really going to trust somebody else with your, you know, with your money to make sure people have their insurance? Um, I just don't trust. I have a hard time trusting people to do what they say they're going to. Um, that's why, you know, I self-managed all my own properties because I didn't trust a property manager. Uh, somebody's got to manage the manager anyways. Um, so loan servicing, like, okay, what is loan servicing? It's making sure that they paid. Okay. If they don't pay, who's enforcing the late fees? Okay. Who's enforcing the force placed insurance letters when they don't pay the insurance? Who's making sure that they keep up on their property taxes? Cause we're not going to escrow for it. Cause then people won't want my product as much. So we have to then triple quadruple check everyone constantly. And then, um, you know, there's also situations where I've got a lady right now and she, you know, who's handling extensions, right? So I got a lady right now called me up. I try not to foreclose on anybody. My LTVs are so low, I shouldn't have to, you know? And so I had this lady uh, call me up and she's basically like, hey, um, I think I'm up in February. I don't think I'm going to make the cut. Like, what can we do? So I'll figure out what to do. You know, we'll, we'll do something that doesn't involve foreclosure as long as she she can show me some effort, right? Um, I'm not in this game to foreclose a bunch of people. That's not it. So um, as long as they can, I got this guy uh, up in Wisconsin. He's a builder, really nice guy. And um, he went over his term. And uh, so now he's doing a monthly interest only payment with me until he sells it, you know? And for me, that's fine. I mean, whatever, you know, but I need somebody to handle that paperwork. And that's another portion of loan servicing that you know people don't think about. Totally. So given that you've had such humongous success so early, like what, what does the future look like for you? I mean, what's your vision for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So I am a really uh, simple person in, in my personal life. Like I don't like no kids, no, uh, you know, marriage, none of that stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm just, uh, you know, I, I just keep it really simple. Um, and I live in a paid off, you know, uh, property that I have, you know, that's, that's really humble. Um, you know, I have one car, uh, from 2007, you know, that I drive, that's it. Um, I could be flashy, but really when I travel, I go see family most of the time. Um, so for me, I'm living way below my means. Um, and that's partially because I've never been through a recession before uh, with my company. And so I just want to make sure that I, whatever this recession happens, whether it's 23 or what, you know, next five years, I'm sure something will happen. And I want to make sure I make it out on the other end unscathed before I kind of start living life, uh, you know, uh, more so. Yeah, that's incredible. What would you say... The advice. So you've given us some red flags earlier when people are vetting lenders, but being someone that's had such success in the investing space, like to a brand new investor, how would you recommend they get started? Like one of the things that's really important to Tim and I is like helping people go from zero to retirement level passive income as fast as humanly possible. So given that you've done that on a scale that's hardly ever been seen by us, like what's your recommendation to people to, to quickly move to financial freedom? Well, I always tell people like, okay, so if you wanted to play basketball, right? Like 
do you think that doing Michael Jordan's workout routine from when he was in his prime, you know, in the nineties, do you think that that's the best thing to do for a beginner? Probably not because they'd probably fall on the floor and vomit everywhere. Right. So, you know, it's, and they're not going to have the skills to be able to do some of the moves, like learning how to dunk from a free throw line. I don't think, you know, that's not a good first step. Real estate's much the same or investing or whatever you're doing. You don't necessarily want to do the exact thing that the guy that's performing at the level you'd like to perform in the future is doing, because he might be doing things for different reasons. Um, you know, he might have different problems he's facing, but what you can do is you can take nuggets from that person. And um, one of the things that I recommend that people do constantly surround yourself with people who you know are really doing it. Not not just people that are online or on Instagram saying how awesome they're doing, but like people that you can verify that they're actually out here getting money and doing it. Those are people you want to try to uh, have in your circle somehow, maybe provide value for them somehow. Um, I have a couple of people that have made money off me this year in they don't have any money to speak of themselves, right? And all they've done is just connect me with a loan, right? So they've just, you know, this is a new investor. They're like, I want to get into real estate. I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you because wholesaling is hard out here, you know, for, for a lot of folks. Um, but, you know, I do give loans. So maybe, you know, somebody that needs a loan, I'll pay you a referral fee, right? Yeah. So I've had several people make thousands off of me this year just for doing that. And yeah, maybe they don't want to be private lenders, but it, it was a good tuition for them just as an investor to see the process and see all the paperwork and see what a settlement statement is and see what all that stuff was. Um, I guess the, all that advice boils down to one thing, just start doing stuff, just start, just start going forward and taking action and uh, trying to uh, immerse yourself in that space. If that's what you want to do. I think that's great advice. I want to push back a little bit here because for most people, that's really great advice, but that wasn't your journey. Your journey no. was like, let's buy a business that's absolutely like bleeding cash. And then yeah. let's buy a strip mall and then let's buy 74 houses at once. Right. So for the, those people that are maybe more like you, like what's the advice for someone that's like, they got to go, they got to go eat an elephant. Yes. So I would, I would tell them that there were several times like, let's forget all the panic attacks that I had during those years. Let's forget the fact that I almost ran out of cash several times when I was, you know, getting going. Um, those are great things to do in the very beginning because there's less risk because you don't have very far to fall. Right. Um, but you know, I don't know that I would like advise somebody to take those monstrous extreme risks if they're not built for it. And I don't know if it's hard to know if you're built for it until you just do it. You know, you're not going to know until you go through it. Um, what I would say though is if somebody wants to get really aggressive, start looking for value creation. Um, value creation is going to mean something way different to everyone. Okay. But in real estate, it seems to be that when you can buy the property or get it under contract for significantly less than what you know, you're going to be able to exit it uh, on it without just relying on value add to get there. It seems like buying it right is kind of one of the main fundamental keys. So if you can find a way to get into a property, maybe, you know, somebody or um, there's some off market deal. You're probably not going to find it on the MLS these days, but some off market deal. That's amazing. Like if you can catapult yourself with a few of those in a row, that might be a quick way to get there. Um, I guess buying a business, but man, that's so risky these days. Um, because input costs are so high from inflation, um, that buying a business, eh, I think it, I don't know if I would have been successful doing that same thing right now. Which is a really good point. Timing of the market's huge. Now with your yep. gym, it was amazing because you were buying it you were buying a, a, a loser, but you bought it at 40,000, right. but your gym equipment was worth 90. So right. you did the right thing right away, come in, get rid of all the employees. Now you're yep. not bleeding $6,000 a month anymore. You now have a job, yep. but you're not bleeding $6,000 yep. a month. And then right. worst case scenario, you sell all the equipment and you walk out with 40K profit. Right, and I renegotiated the rent and yep. I and I ripped it, ripped down the expenses. I sold off like this mezzanine thing for like five grand, like immediately. You know what I mean? I sold off some other like uh, weight equipment that was in there that I knew we weren't going to use to free up some space that none of the members even liked. You know, and so like I was also you know kind of utilizing the gym itself to kind of uh, you know 
to, to harvest some of its resources to try to throw into the, you know, into the advertising. Oh, and then I started spending 3000 a month on Facebook ads. I should mention that <laughs> this was back in uh, like 2013 when like nobody was on Facebook ads. And so, you know how much bang you could get for the buck on three grand a month on Facebook ads. We had more likes than the local YMCA within like four months. I mean, it was nuts. Crazy. We had like 6,000 likes on our Facebook page. Um, so, you know, and then I ended up training Miss Iowa on she, she, she won Miss Iowa on her first, on her first try. She'd never done pageants. That was Alyssa Morrison. I ended up uh, training her her very first time, never done uh, a pageant before walks in, wins Miss Iowa on the first try. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, and that was, uh, you know, a really good boost for the gym too. So again, I don't think my path can necessarily be exactly followed by somebody uh, the same way that Michael Jordan's can't, or uh, I don't mean to compare myself to that, but you know what I mean? Like the same way that somebody who's doing it big, you might not be able to walk in their exact path and get the same result. Your story has so many hormozy overtones from the fact that it's a gym, from the fact that you're running Facebook ads, from the fact that you're scaling, it's, it's wild. One of the things that you just mentioned there that I think is, is fascinating is, is the fact that you said it, it's probably not replicatable. And, and what I'm taking from that is essentially the idea that people that per, you know, achieve greatness do so because they don't need the path to follow, right? They're creating the path as they go. Would you, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, I always uh, I compare it to like, you know, I'm just like a bulldozer just kind of like just steaming ahead. And then like everyone else, like I have to like figure out how to like make it look good behind me, whatever I <laughs> just did. Right. So it's, it, you're right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, you have to be self-driven enough and you have to be able to pivot. That's another huge thing too, because the path isn't going to be nice and smooth and, and, and stay on the same trajectory the whole time. You're going to have to be able to pivot. And uh, when you see new information, you have to react. So, Generally, we ask a question about having a billion dollars and a lifetime of cash flow, but we've kind of asked some questions along those lines already. So what I'd like to ask is, I mean, you've got a really decent portfolio. You've got a large bank account of cash, or at least you can, you loan it out most of the time. You have a lot of relationships. So if you had to choose between your existing portfolio, your bank accounts full of cash, the relationships that you have, what, what would you keep? If you can only keep one relationships, the relationships all day. Yep. I would say that like, there's one, I'll give you an example of why everyone's like, that's like the easy answer, right? Oh yeah. I choose the relationships. Oh, would you really, you know what yeah. I mean? Come on. You got you $10 know? million dollars like, in the bank. You're going to choose a relationship. You can <laughs> yeah. build friendships, right? Yeah. 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 So, okay. I'll, I'll give you the example. This one guy, Nathan, he's really, he's really awesome. Um, I just ran into him at home Depot in like 2017. Right. And you know, he's just a really nice guy. He's a contractor. He's a plumber by trade. And, uh, you know, I think he's like a journeyman plumber, right? Really just top-notch guy. He's a family man, just a really good guy. And I could tell right away that we were going to be, you know, cool with each other and be able to do business. And we've probably done like 40 deals together, you know, just me and that one guy. And I, I probably made a million dollars, you know, at least in revenue. I, I don't know how much profit, but I probably made a million dollars with that relationship, you know? And so I think about that and I'm like, you know what, that that's probably, and it's not because I'm some genius or anything like that. In fact, you know, I was kind of like middle of the road in college. You know what I mean? I graduated with like a three point from Michigan state, right? Like I'm not a brainiac. Um, and I think it's just being really, uh, fair with people and, um, being open and transparent, uh, with people and not pretending you're something you're not. And I think if you do that, people will gravitate toward you and just tell it like it is. And with he and I, whenever we've had something go South in a, in a deal, we just meet up and talk about it. And I'm like, Hey, here's, here's what I think. What do you think? You know, and here's and I'll be, I'll tell them bad news fast. You know, um, what, what's the saying? Good news, fast, bad news, faster. Uh, and hmm. so if, if you're just really honest and fair with people, um, you can make a ton of money, especially if you're not sure where the relationship's going to lead, but you just do the right thing anyways. And then eventually the money will come. What a tremendous answer, man. I have something, this question is, is very important to me because I've been posting in these groups looking for guests and far and away, you are number one. You have raving fans everywhere. Thank you. It's like, what is it that you offer that, that nobody else offers in the private lending realm? Because like, literally, it's not even close. You're the most recommended guest by far. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, what do I offer? Yeah, I mean, sure. The terms are, are better, you know, uh, for me uh, in 
for somebody who's like a, a kind of a shorter term person, okay, because I'm not going to have the upfront fees. I don't do monthly payments on most of my deals, right? So there's no monthly payments to me. And then they only pay me when the when they sell it, right? So you have no holding costs. I just eliminated all the holding costs, no upfront fees, no monthly payments. And then you just pay me when you sell it, right? So it's a flipper's dream, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that also, I'm going to maybe look harder at people who would not make it through the traditional hard money filters. Okay. Because I'm looking at, you know, do I believe that this deal is going to work? You know, um, do I believe in the asset and does the person do it? Can I sense that they're going to be able to perform this? So I think it's just a niche, you know, that, uh, and, and it just so happens that I think, um, it's a niche that is very needed. Um, and I think that's why, uh, we've been able to get the business we have recently. So you've created one of the greatest pieces of content that I've seen when it comes to education and entertainment about private money. In June of last Thank year, you. you shot a video and appears to be an iPhone video mixed with some editing. Can you talk to me about your state of mind? Like it was so hilarious. I would have had to have been inebriated to be able to produce a video like that. Can you walk me through how that all came together? What was that? How to flip with no money? How to flip was with no money? When you you sung yeah. the the and, and if you'll sing for us again, I'd be happily take it. But if, yeah. if <laughs> the first lean position song, I mean, there's just so many.